Welcome to worship. We're glad that you are here, especially if you're a guest with us. I want to direct you to the guest card uh, in front of you in the back of the pew. If you don't mind filling that out, that's a way that we can get to know you and start a conversation. You can take that at the end of the service uh, to your left as you exit up to the Welcome Center and uh, drop that there. We have a gift for first-time guests. So uh, welcome to everyone, but especially our guests this morning. Uh, we're here to worship on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we're celebrating our freedom in Christ. We're celebrating the fact that we have freedom in our country to, uh, uh, and for those who gave their lives for those freedoms. So uh, we're going to uh, pray and continue to worship. Father God, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for the freedom that we have in you, God. Thank you for the freedom we have from sin uh, that it has no hold on us uh, in terms of uh, any punishment that we uh, endure from uh, from you, a just God, that you have uh, made that provision so that we uh, may be found righteous in your sight, God. And so uh, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins and the opportunity to be in fellowship with you, God. We thank you that we can gather this morning and worship in freedom. We thank you for a country that allows that. Help us to be mindful of that freedom and use that freedom to share your love with those around us and to glorify you and, and share the message of the gospel, God. So uh, we just are... Uh, honored to gather this morning to worship and praise you, uh, to hear from you. Uh, may we be challenged by the things that we hear and grow to be more like you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's continue singing hymn number 518, 518, 518. Let's stand together. Shall we gather at the river? Shall we gather at the river where bright angels' feet have trod with its crystal bonds forever flowing by the throne of God? Yes, we'll gather at the river, the beautiful, the beautiful river. Gather with the saints at the river that flows by the throne of God. On the margin of the river, washing up its silver spray, we will walk and worship ever.
Amen. You can be seated. This is the last day the choir will sing for the, uh, for the summer. Uh, of course, we've got all kinds of things going on in the summertime, and so today we want to sing a couple songs to you, with you, if you feel free to, or you feel free to sing along with us as you want to. This is one of our favorites called New Name Written Down in Glory. Here we go. Me, darkness, help me. 
Lord, the opportunity to worship you. Lord, we're not worthy to worship you. We only can get it from you. But thank you for this time. Be with um, uh, Pastor Tim as he comes. Bless his heart. Bless the words. And Lord, thank you for being in our midst. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. <clears throat> this morning we will wrap up our series on Jonah. I um, want to give you just a quick recap. I know there's guests here every week and maybe you've missed a week. And so um, let me give you just a quick recap. Back in Jonah chapter 1, God called Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and to, to preach repentance to them. And Jonah rebelled against that calling, went the opposite direction. Uh, fled away from God, went down to the city of Joppa. Um, he boarded a boat there, headed toward Tarshish. Um, ultimately, um, God threw a storm at, their, at the boat that he was on and, and uh, you know, it says it almost broke the boat up in two. Uh, the sailors threw him overboard, recognizing that he was the reason that they were enduring that storm. And they threw him overboard, and ultimately chapter 1 ends with him being swallowed by a great fish. And then in chapter 2, uh, Jonah uh, cries out to God in his distress. All of chapter 2 is a prayer, and he calls out to God in distress, and we learn that God rescues Jonah through the, uh, the fish that had swallowed him. He was in the belly of the fish for three days, and the fish vomited Jonah up on the shore. And Jonah, uh, kind of the end of chapter 2 ends with, with Jonah crying out that salvation belongs to the Lord. Then in chapter 3, God gave Jonah a second chance, and he uh, went, to know, went to Nineveh, was faithful with that calling the second time, uh, preached repentance to them. They repented of, of their evil uh, and wrongdoing, and God then relented of his uh, destruction that he had threatened against them. And so uh, an incredible uh, story through the first three chapters of the book of Jonah. So for the last week, I want to tell you again that the story of Jonah is a story about God's grace. And so we've seen God's grace uh, in the life of just being willing to send Jonah even to go to Nineveh. We've seen God's grace by rescuing and saving the sailors. They didn't die out at sea. We saw his grace toward Jonah and rescuing him through the fish. Uh, we see God's grace in the life of Jonah by giving him a second chance. We see the grace of God in the life of the Ninevites when they repent, God relented of them and uh, didn't bring about that destruction. So over and over we see God's grace. And if Jonah had ended with uh, chapter 3, come on out Scott, let's all just look at Scott. Just, just messing with him. Jonah, if the book of Jonah had ended at chapter 3, we would think it's an incredible story of repentance and we would think uh, that Jonah is a hero. But ultimately, we know that there's a fourth chapter in the book of Jonah. And in chapter 4 is when the, kind of the plot twist comes. And so, uh, join me in reading through chapter 4. Uh, we're going to begin, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there to Jonah chapter 4, uh, verse 1. We're going to begin there. 
and uh, read this plot twist. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. You see, when you're reading through the book of Jonah, you don't expect that to be the first verse of chapter 4, that he's greatly displeased and furious because of what had taken place. You see, ultimately, that should be a joyous moment. Jonah preached faithfully God's word, and they repented. God relented of that destruction. It should be a joyous moment. It should be a good thing. Uh, they, re they responded faithfully to the repentance that Jonah was preaching about. But Jonah doesn't react in the way that we would expect, and he becomes furious uh, because of the outcome of, of God's pouring his grace out to them. And so in verse 2, it says this, He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. You see, Jonah prays for a second time in this letter, and his prayer reveals his heart. It reveals his frustration toward God. And we realize that Jonah didn't want any part of sharing the gospel to the people of Nineveh. He didn't want any part of them hearing about God's grace and hearing about freedom that comes from the sin only through God our Father. He didn't want them to have a chance to repent and to turn from their evil ways. You see, Nineveh, again, was an enemy to the nation of Israel, and they'd brought about uh, so much pain and these evil atrocities on the city uh, or on the nation of Israel and on the surrounding people groups around them. And, and Jonah didn't want any part of that. He wanted them to suffer uh, what they had coming to them, right? And so they were a world power. They were wiping people out that were around them. And, and after, you know, in, in chapter 1, we see that God called them, called Jonah ultimately to go to them because uh, their evil had come up before him. But Jonah wanted no part of, of, of you know, them experiencing God's grace. So Jonah, uh, we read though in, in the latter half of verse 2 that Jonah knew that God was a gracious and compassionate God. Right? It says he's slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, a God who relents from sending disaster. You see, almost a phrase identical to that can be found in the Old Testament in seven different locations. And so Jonah knew this about God. He knew that that's how he was, that God, uh, you know, he knew that there was a chance if he went there that they would repent of their sin and that God would relent from the, this disaster that would have been coming upon them because he knew that God was gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. So at the heart of the matter, Jonah doesn't like it. He doesn't want to be a part of it. He doesn't like that they have the opportunity to receive forgiveness, and he doesn't like, ultimately, that God even wants to offer them forgiveness. You see, it says in that second half that Jonah knew, right? He knows about God what other people that we've read through the book of Jonah do not know about God, right? He knows that God is gracious and compassionate. But in, in chapter 3, we read about the king of Nineveh when, when he said in chapter 3, verse 9, he said, who knows? Maybe God will relent, right? So the king of Nineveh wasn't sure about God's grace and compassion, even though Jonah knows about it. And we could think about the sailors back in chapter 1. Remember, they said, uh, maybe this God will consider us, right? They didn't know. They weren't for sure about God's grace and compassion. But ultimately, Jonah knew that God was gracious. He was compassionate. These uh, slow to anger, that he's got an unbounding and faithful love, and that God would relent from the disaster that he had threatened upon them unless they would repent. Ultimately, what this reveals to us about Jonah is that his heart is just not in a good place, right? 
His heart is full of resentment. His heart is full of bitterness. His heart is full of discontentment and frustration and anger. So uh, his heart is not in a good place. Then in verse 3, let's keep reading on verse 3. And now, Lord, he says, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You know, isn't it ironic? Back in chapter 2, he's drowning, he's sinking to the bottom of the ocean, his life is at risk, and he cries out to God in distress, and God rescues him and saves his life. But ultimately here, in chapter 4, verse 3, he's physically fine, he's safe, he's not at risk physically, but yet he's crying out for God to take his life, and he's decided that it's better for him to die than to live. You see, Jonah didn't want to return home to his people. He didn't want to go back where they would find out that he was the agent of, that God used to take forgiveness to the evil people, to their, to their enemy. He didn't think they would like it. He didn't think they would understand it. He didn't think that uh, he felt like he could even bear it. So he felt like it was better off for him to be dead. See, to me, I think it's a dangerous place for us to be if we're more concerned about what other people think about us and what they think about our reputation as opposed to being more concerned about our character before God and about our obedience to God. In verse 4, we're going to see God ask him a question. In verse 4, it says this, the Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? So he's asking Jonah this question, is it right for you to be angry? He just wants Jonah just to stop, right? Just stop and think about this situation. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where you just have to kind of Remove yourself, warn it, stop, ask your, you know, okay, what am I doing here? Why am I handling this this way? Maybe you ask your kids that. And that's what God is doing. He's just asking, is it right for you to be angry in this situation? He wants them to think about his response. And is it the right way to respond? Is your anger good? Is it necessary? Should his response to God's grace be one that leads him to become so angry? You see, what is really going on? Is in his heart is the, is the issue. All this frustration, bitterness, and anger. See, yet again, God doesn't treat him as he deserves, but he gives him grace over and over. Jonah again experiences the grace of God. In verse 5, it says this, Jonah, felt, or Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and set in its shade to see what would happen to the city. You see, his prayer, uh, we find out this prayer, this, this question from God where God begins to, to try to interact with him. That takes place while Jonah is still in the city of Nineveh. And so, you know, we don't know if that's after the first day when he, when he preached and they repented. You know, maybe that was immediately after that. We don't know if it's a week later. We don't have any idea when this takes place. But we know that that conversation with God and that prayer to God took place while he was still in the city among the people there in Nineveh. But here's what we know. Um, it says that, that uh, he left the city and went out away from the city um, to, know, to understand the uh, topography over there. When he went east of the city, it essentially meant that he was going to uh, a hill, right, to a higher elevation. He wanted to be able to look down over the city to be able to see uh, what was taking place. It says he built a temporary shelter to sit in and to wait out what would, take, you know, what would happen, what would take place. He tells us in chapter 3... Uh, verse 4, we remember that part of what he preached to the people, it said, in 40 days Nineveh will be demolished. I think Jonah was going there to sit out that 40 days to see what God will do to the people. Maybe he doesn't think their repentance is legitimate. 
Maybe he doesn't believe that their repentance will last. And so he's going to sit out this, this 40 days and just to wait. Either way, he's banking on the hope, ultimately, that God is going to bring about the destruction that he had threatened upon them. And he wants a front row seat to the action. So he's going to, to, he wants to see what the Lord will do to him. In verse 6, it says this. Then the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. You see, our sovereign God now appoints or commands this plant to provide shade for Jonah. You know, that would have been a pretty cool thing, this, uh, this plant that wasn't there. He built this temporary shelter in this tree. This plant wasn't there, but he wakes up one morning and this tree is there and it's growing over the top of him. It's providing shade and covering and, uh, you know, God is going to use this you know, pretty cool low-tech visual aid as kind of an object lesson for Jonah. We're going to see over the next few verses. This plant provides much-needed shade, and ultimately the verse says he rescues Jonah from the heat because of this plant. You see, the temperatures in their climate would have been 110, 115 degrees, and it would have certainly have been hot. And so God rescues Jonah, showing him his grace again. He rescues him from the heat. And Jonah's moved, it says in verse 1, from being displeased with God to ultimately now being pleased with this plant. So in verse 7, as it continues, When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. You see, kind of in this phase 2 of his object lesson, he now sends this worm, it attacks the plant, the plant is destroyed, the plant uh, withers up, it says you know, the plant died, and ultimately when the plant died, the shade disappeared. And on to, on to the last part of this, in verse 8, it says, as the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. You see, this is kind of phase three of operation change Jonah's heart, you know, from God. And God appointed this scorching east wind. Uh, I did a little bit of research. These east winds there are called uh, Sirocco winds. And so they produce this unusually hot, dry uh, winds that, that blow through. They bring up that desert climate air, and they, and they, they can blow up to... Uh, some of the research said that they, they move as fast as 50 to 60 miles an hour, but have gusts up to 75 or 80 miles an hour. And these wind storms, these sand storms, they can last anywhere from 10 to 12 hours long, sometimes longer. And so... Jonah's out there in this temporary shelter uh, where, you know, trying to get protection from this, this incredible heat and this incredible windstorm that's blowing around all this sand that's all around him. These, these elements are ravaging against him to the point where he's nearly fainted, right? And it, and it says, now, he says for the second time that he feels like he'd better off be dead and, and to die than to live. We read the same thing in verse 3, and now here it is again in verse 8. So then God asked him a question a second time. Listen to verse 9. Then God asked Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he responds this time, Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. <clears throat> so God asked Jonah a second time about his anger and if his anger is right. And this time he's angry at the plant because the plant wasn't there to 
provide the shade for him anytime. So God's trying to help him see, look, Jonah, this is, this is a heart issue. It's not really about the plant. I want you to see that it's, it's a heart issue and why you're so angry even about the Ninevites. But Jonah's convinced that his anger toward God is both right uh, and his anger toward the plant is right. In fact, he says he's angry enough to die. You see, if God wouldn't take his life back in verse 3, he's just willing to, you know, to, he hopes that his life will just fail here by the time we get to verse 9. And all of these God-appointed things are trying to, to you know, bring Jonah back to his purpose, bring Jonah back to his calling that he has on his life. If we think about these things, all of these God-appointed things were obedient to God. Right? Think about the fish, then the plant, then the worm, and then the wind. They're all obedient to what God's called them to do. But don't, Jonah didn't respond the first time that God tried to question him about these things in verse 4. But now we see uh, that it reveals again his anger and the resentment that he has in his heart. So let's keep going to verse 10. So the Lord said, You cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. See, God's pointing out to Jonah his faults, his shortcomings, right? He says, you cared about this plant that you had nothing invested in. You didn't plant a seed. You didn't water it. You didn't nurture it. You didn't care for it. Uh, you didn't try to protect it. Um, you know, you, you didn't do anything in this, and yet you care about this plant that died. And so he's receiving the benefit of the shade from the plant, that it provided, even though he didn't have anything invested in the plant. So God reminds him that it appears in a night, and that the plant perishes in a night. So you see, Jonah was concerned for, he cared about this plant, that he had nothing, uh, had done nothing for, right? He didn't have anything invested in it. So here's verse 11. Let's see how God continues to, uh, to share. He says in verse 11, But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which was which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. See, God now shows him the comparison that he created everything, right? Part of his creation, in fact, is this great city of Nineveh, all the people in the city and all the animals. And even though the people, uh, they don't know God, they don't know the will of God, they're not living in obedience to God, uh, that they need to hear about God's grace. They need to understand that God loves them. And they, you know, at this point, they're really only living to please themselves. They're living only doing what they want to do. And, and even the animals, you know, God is concerned about the animals. I'm sure the, the animals help them in their labor. I'm sure the animals provide food for them. Everything in the city is part of God's creation. You see, but Jonah doesn't see a need for them in any way to receive God's forgiveness and God's grace. Ultimately, we can see that his desires for them to experience God's judgment, God's destruction, his wrath. See, Jonah had compassion for a plant, but he didn't have compassion for God's people. But we know that God had compassion both on the plant, or I mean on the people and the animals that he created. So the answer to God's question to Jonah is yes, right? Yes, God is certainly justified in showing compassion to the great city of Nineveh. And even though Jonah hated the Ninevites and, and they were their enemy, God loved the, the Ninevites despite their sin. And even though Jonah wanted to see their city destroyed, God wanted to see their city saved. So the book of 
uh, Jonah, it, it ends abruptly here in chapter 4 at verse 11. And through this book, we've learned, we've learned a little bit about a great fish. We've learned a little bit about this great city of Nineveh. Um, but we've learned a lot about Jonah and his heart and his heart toward the lost. But we learn the most about God and his grace for his people. So the question that we have left to ask ourselves is this. Do we have the same kind of grace and compassion toward the lost that God shows? You see, God spoke to his people through the prophets. Jonah is one of the prophets, right? And the message of the prophets of God is a message of, of, how, uh, of how we need God's grace because we're sinners and, and how God's grace comes through the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus. Listen to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53 says this, But he, Jesus, but Jesus was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, right? That's a, a fancy word for sin. Punishment for our peace was on him, Jesus. And we are healed by his wounds, by Jesus' wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. But the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. You see, these prophets like Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Amos, uh, Malachi, we have 17 books or letters written uh, here in the, in the Old Testament from prophets. And here's what they're doing. They're all pointing to the grace of God. And they're all pointing to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, that will live a perfect life and be the greatest demonstration of God's grace. See, Jesus and these prophets, they show us that we need grace. And they show us that sometimes we forget what life was like before we received grace from God. And sometimes we want to be selective about sharing God's grace with others. So the book of Jonah, it calls into question our hearts and the way we live and the way we handle God's grace. I want to close out this series by giving three challenges to know and to show God's grace to the world. So if you're taking notes, they're on there. I had somebody come up and say, man, I thought you were never going to get to the worship guide. But here we go. Here's the three. They're in there. If you want to take notes, write them down. First is this. Live life on mission right? Live life on mission. God called Jonah to get up and go, and God, God calls us to get up and go. He gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where he tells us to go and make disciples of all nations and teach them how to obey God's word. You see, once we know God's grace through salvation in Jesus, uh, we have to go and show the world who this Jesus is. Everyone needs God's grace. Why? Because of what Isaiah just told us, that we're all sinners, that we've all turned to our own way, and we all need a Savior. Even after a person has come to faith in Christ, they need to remember how good it felt for the first time to experience God's grace. You see, when we, we remember how good it felt, it, it keeps us humble, and it keeps us willing to go share with the next person about God's goodness and His grace. That's why I told you last week not to give up on the people that are around you. And 
and that God's calling doesn't have to make sense for your life, right? We just have to be willing to fulfill the great commission of going and living life on mission for Him. So as you're living life, as you're going, live life on mission for Him. Be telling other people about God's grace. Here's the second challenge, to know and to show God's grace to the world. Never get over the fact that the lost are headed for eternity in hell. I want that to sink in. We need to, we need to remember that, and, and not forget the fact that the lost, without God's grace, they're headed for an eternity in hell. You see, heaven is real, and so is hell. And Jonah didn't seem to care about Nineveh. He didn't care about their outcome, but we know that they were important to God. They were important enough that he wanted them to know about his grace, and he wanted them to understand his love. You can see God's desire for repentant sinners in the book of Jonah, right? So this requires us to have a compassion for the lost, just like our Heavenly Father. See, the very reason that Jonah didn't want to share with the Ninevites is that he knew God was gracious and compassionate. Are, are you gracious and compassionate toward the lost, toward the people that are around you that don't know Christ? You see, we know that... Um, they're going to be spending an eternity in hell without their forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he's the ultimate example of God's grace for us, right? He's the ultimate example of compassion for us. We see that he has compassion on the people numerous times in Scripture. On, he had compassion on those that he healed. He, it says that he had compassion on those when he fed the 5,000. Uh, 5, uh, he tells us through parables that highlight the trait of compassion and that calls people to action. Um, his compassion drove him to teach and to challenge his own disciples. Listen to Matthew chapter 9. It says this about Jesus. When he saw, that being Jesus, when he saw the crowds, what does it say? He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. So what did he do? He said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. See, our harvest here is Coffee County. Our, our county, the, the population of our county is, is about 60,000 and growing. Um, you know, it, that's, that's pretty close. But the workers in our county are few. You know, estimations, statistics say estimations from our TBMB uh, research shows that there may be six to 8,000 people across our county that are in a church right now. And that's if we include every church across our county. If we counted every person in every church, there might be between six to 8,000 people. So to do the math, that's approximately only 10% of our county is in church right now hearing about God's grace. So the reality of that is 90% of the people are not in church right now hearing about God's grace, right? That tells me we have our work cut out for us. Tells me we have a mission. So my question is, will your compassion drive your mission? The third challenge to know and to show God's grace to the world is this. Is we can't be selective with what doesn't belong to us. Let me help explain what I mean. God's grace is available to everyone, right? God's grace is available to everyone, and, and we don't have the authority to act like we get to pick and choose who hears about the grace of God and who we think ought to be in heaven. You see, it's a scary place when we want to 
offer grace to some people, but not to others. And maybe we believe some are deserving of grace, but not everyone. You see, you might not say that out loud, but I think our actions can sometimes show that. So my question is just like Jonah, who, who do you run from? Right? Who do you run from? Jonah thought he could run from God's calling and, and uh, avoid God's calling on his life and that that would automatically uh, make the Ninevites face judgment because they, you know, for their evil ways, for their sin, because they hadn't heard then about God's grace. But we know that's not how Jonah always lived, right? We know from 2 Kings chapter 14 uh, that he was faithful in other callings that God gave him. But he's choosing here in this instance not to take the grace of God to the Ninevites. So who in your life do you believe doesn't deserve God's grace? Who do you believe doesn't deserve freedom from sin? Is there a group of people? Is there an ethnic background? Is there a race or a nationality? Is there a political stance that you think they don't deserve God's grace? Is there an economic status that must be attained first? Should they dress a certain way or act a certain way or live a certain way before being even allowed in our building? Should they live in a certain part of town to be able to receive God's grace? See, we like being recipients of the grace of God, but oftentimes we don't care about extending that grace to other people. See, sometimes we think people need to meet a certain criteria or a certain standard or a certain style of life before we're willing to take the gospel to them. But that's not what the scriptures say. In fact, Jesus teaches us about His grace in several parables um, that sometimes take unexpected turns because people don't always handle grace, you know, God's grace uh, correctly. The parable of the vineyard workers, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the unforgiving servant, the parable of the great banquet. Each of these point to God's grace, but each of these we can see how people misuse and abuse God's grace. See, God the Father and, and Jesus show us what true grace and what compassion looks like for the lost. So what do we do with the grace that we've received? See, Jonah chapter 4 tells us that Jonah went outside the city and he waited to watch the destruction of people that he didn't believe deserved God's grace. But we know that Jesus went outside the city as well. And Jesus was taken to a hill called Golgotha. And Jesus had nails driven through his hands and feet. And he was crucified on a cross because he had compassion for everyone. Everyone in Jerusalem, Judea, and all the world. In fact, even the very people that were crucifying him, Jesus said of them, Father, Forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. We may never know uh, any more about the life of Jonah. Um, I, I want to believe that, you know, we don't, we don't know if his, he continued to have a hardened heart. We don't know if he continued to be angry with God. I, I want to believe that this is in the Bible because Jonah wanted us to see the hardness in his heart toward the lost. And he wanted to, that to be changed for us, Right? And so he wanted to put his story in there so that we would look at our own hearts. You see, 
One thing's true about the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is an amazing story about God's grace. His amazing grace, his radical grace for little, literally everybody involved through the book of Jonah. And the great thing is, is that the same grace is available for you this morning. You see, the Bible tells us that, um, that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that if you would repent from your sins and you would turn to him, that you could have freedom from sin. See, I want you to know this morning that God is gracious. God is compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in faithful love, and he wants to relent from you spending an eternity in hell by giving you his grace. If you'll surrender today and accept by faith what his son did on the cross for you, then you can experience God's grace today and experience God's freedom from sin and spend eternity in heaven. Would you come? Let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. And I thank you for the story of God's grace in the life of Jonah. Thank you for what Jonah has taught us. Father, I pray for the person sitting in this room today that hasn't experienced your grace yet. Father, I pray that they can understand your grace and your compassion and your love this morning. Father, help them to see a need to surrender to you. Lord, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. During this time of invitation, I invite you to stand and and we're going to sing. And I want to I call you to, re, to respond the way that God has called you to respond. Maybe that's responding to His grace this morning. Turn to Him. Give your life to Jesus this morning. Maybe that's just joining our church. We had somebody in the first service join our, our church membership. Be a part of our church family. Maybe you want to respond in baptism. Whatever it is, just respond faithfully how God is calling you this morning. Let's stand and sing. Hymn number 448. 448.
Thank you, Tim, for sharing with us about the compassion of God through the story of Jonah. I want to share with you a way we can put that into practice, our mission field in our area. We have Vacation Bible School beginning a week from tomorrow. Would you help us invite children and middle schoolers to Vacation Bible School, those entering kindergarten through those uh, completed eighth grade? You may have nieces, nephews, cousins, neighbors, grandchildren that you could reach out to and offer an invitation. Our Vacation Bible School could make the difference in a child's life for all eternity. I accepted Christ in Vacation Bible School, very special to me. So week from tomorrow it begins. Would you help us to pray and would you invite people and spread the word? You can pick up a flyer at the Welcome Center or on social media. We have uh, it posted on our Facebook and Instagram right now, and you could repost that and share it with friends to uh, share that invitation. I want to share with you also about uh, Wednesday nights this summer. We will not have any activities at our church the next two Wednesday nights, May 31st or June 7th, as we prepare for and move into Vacation Bible School. But beginning June 14th, we have our summer outdoor worship services every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. in the rear parking lot beginning June the 14th, bring a lawn chair, we have a flatbed trailer, be worshiped together, preaching, fellowship, uh, family, it's a family thing, we have, uh, I think ice cream sandwiches is the first fellowship, we have food trucks one week and so forth, so I hope you'll plan to be a part of us, uh, part with us of that this summer. Uh, I want to encourage you to worship by giving as you go, uh, thank you for your faithfulness in your tithes and offerings. There are deposit boxes on the wall by the doors as you exit. We are approaching the time of year when we spend a disproportionately large percentage of our church budget. Uh, we have Vacation Bible School. We have the Jesus Tent at Bonnaroo. We have two mission trips to Guatemala this summer. We have kids camp, middle school camp, a high school mission trip. And so we do a lot of our ministry, spend a lot of our budget in the summer. Your faithfulness is so much appreciated. We're right on our budget, meeting our budget, and we're grateful for that. But I want to encourage you uh, in your giving. If you're traveling this summer, one way you can give is to give online on our website or our church app. In the, your bulletin is a QR code where you can 
Just open your camera on your phone and point it there and download our church app. It allows you to watch sermons wherever you are, listen to sermons, uh, see our newsletter, see our calendar of events, share prayer requests, and that's a valuable tool, especially in this summer. So encourage you there in the bulletin, if you don't already have that, to get that church app. And thank you again for your, your giving. Uh, I, there it is right there. It's probably too small for you to click on there, I would say. You probably need to do that in the bulletin, but that lets you know what, uh, what you'll see when that church app comes up. As we close, I want us to have just a moment of silence, if we may, to thank God for those who, on this Memorial Day weekend who, in defense of our country's freedom, have given their lives in military service. We are grateful to them, and we want to spend just a moment in uh, silence to remember them and to pray for their families and to pray for us as we go. Would you join me, please, as we bow together? Father in heaven, we pause in a moment of silence to express our gratitude. You tell us to be thankful, and one of those things for which we are thankful are the wonderful freedoms that we enjoy in this nation, freedom to assemble, freedom of worship, freedom of speech, and we are grateful for those who have defended these freedoms throughout the course of our nation's history and have given their lives, and we Thank you for their sacrifice. We remember their families. We pray for Gold Star families today, for families of those uh, who have lost a loved one. And we pray your blessing to them on this Memorial Day weekend. It is a reminder to us, Lord, to pray for our country. We want you to bless America. We love our country. But we realize, Lord, the only way that you'll bless us if, is if we're in conformity to your will and your laws. And God, we have strayed from you, and we ask for your mercy, and we pray for a great spiritual awakening in our nation that we might be on a course that you could bless and guide in the future. We pray for our country. Thank you for this privilege of worship today. Thank you for the word we've heard. Thank you for the fellowship with fellow believers. Bless us as we go, we pray, with a sense of your peace and your joy as we walk with you through life. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Could I ask a favor? Uh, you know, this week we're going to be getting ready for VBS. He just said that uh, we need to clean, we need to get all the chairs out of the loft. So anybody who's able and can help us, if we uh, get on it, we could get these chairs out of the loft and in this hallway, get it real quick. So anybody who wants to help, come on up.